In this episode, we speak with Ned Gilhilly and Scott Stewart, the founding partners of Sageview Capital, which is a private investment firm with over $2 billion in assets under management, focused on enduring software and tech-enabled businesses. Ned and Scott founded Sageview in 2006, after their nearly two-decade careers at KKR. Ned joined KKR in 1986 in San Francisco and rose to establish and oversee all aspects of KKR's business in Europe, as well as serve on KKR's investment committee. Scott joined KKR in 1986 in New York and rose to become responsible for the utilities and consumer products industry groups, as well as serve on KKR's investment committee. Historically, the Sageview team has been the single largest investor in every fund, making up over 20% of its invested capital. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Ned and Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks, RJ. So where I'd like to kick off is the two of you seem to have somewhat parallel career paths. I mean, I believe it seems like maybe you met at Stanford Business School and from then on went to KKR and really helped play an instrumental role in helping to build that firm. Can we go back to where the relationship started? Because I think that'll help set the stage for what we talk about later on. Uh, sure. Why don't I, I'll start. But what you said is accurate. I mean, Scott and I uh, have known each other for an awfully long time. We did originally meet actually right before we went to Stanford Business School. I remember uh, we met down on the beach in Los Angeles and realized that we were both going to be joining the same class at the GSB and struck up a friendship at that time. And then we ended up being housemates our second year at business school in a house with four guys including Jim Coulter, who started TPG, and another guy named Steve McDonald. So that's where it started. And we both wanted to get into the private equity world coming out of business school. That was sort of the hot area at the time. You know, we were both reaching out kind of broadly and got to KKR. KKR was a very different firm than people think of today. You know, there were 11 people on the investment team when we started talking to them. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to become the 12th and 13th. I joined KKR in the uh, California office with George Roberts and Scott joined in New York with Henry Kravis. It was the first time they'd hired anybody out of school. They'd always reached out to professionals they'd worked with in the past. And I think they really liked the idea of taking on two younger guys that knew each other and were good friends and viewed that as a real benefit. I'm always fascinated by KKR because of their ability to, it seems like, build internal partnerships. So meaning as KKR was evolving, it was really George and Henry on opposite coasts, but very closely connected. And I believe today the two leaders of KKR are also close partners. And then the two of you also were with KKR for close to two decades. What do you think it is about maybe KKR's culture or the way they select people that enable them to build these strong internal partnerships? 
I mean, I think George and Henry, in many ways, like Ned and I, had a very special relationship. They were cousins, knew each other growing up, and started the firm together. And Ned and I sort of had a ringside seat, seeing how two people can run a firm. And I do think two heads are better than one if you can get the dynamics right. It doesn't work for a lot of businesses. Hedge funds come to mind where the decisions are quicker. But I think for something like private equity, you know, we really enjoy having partners, Ned, me, others, where you can debate themes, you can kick an idea around, hear the good, the bad, the ugly. So I think if you can pull it off, you know, we think it's a superior way to run a firm. And I do think we studied under George and Henry, who made it work by Coastal. And that's been great for our business because Ned's in Palo Alto, I'm in Greenwich. And, you know, it allows us to cover half the country a lot easier. And a, a big part of our business is getting out on the road, meeting entrepreneurs. So I think if you can pull it off, it's absolutely great. Yeah, the other thing I'd add, RJ, is that um, I do think George and Henry were always very intentional about building team culture. For example, the comp system was always highly geared towards the success of the team, not the individual. And I think they were also very loyal and really invested in their people and believed in the value of loyalty and continuity. And I think we saw that firsthand and we've taken a number of pages out of their book and employed those practices at Sageview to what I think is really great advantage. Mm -hmm. And beyond the kind of compensation structure, there must be a lot more to building a great firm culture. We see a lot of firms that spin out from other firms, but they have a tough time either with the partnership working or with the firm and fund progression really taking hold. What are those other things, those other elements that you focus on related to firm building? Well, I think first of all, it starts with the people. I mean, Ned and I have tried to conduct ourselves, tried to hire people that are smart, motivated, really love investing, have good IQ and good EQ because we've got to work with these management teams. They're honest and we can be competitive with ourselves. We can be competitive with others, but not in a way that wrecks the culture. And so, you know, we have a comp system like the one at KKR that Ned mentioned. And so I feel like everybody here is pulling the oars in the same direction, just trying to make the firm better and better. And I think leadership makes a big difference in that when that's the message that you're always communicating and driving home through your actions, it makes a big difference. And I think we've tried to do that. And again, I think we saw that at KKR. So let's go back to 2005, 2006 timeframe when you decided to embark on Sageview. What was the catalyst? Did you have kind of a vision in mind of how you might be different? Absolutely. Well, so my last chapter at KKR, I was really fortunate. I got to go over to Europe and start KKR's business in Europe. And I did that in the late 90s, went over in 98, took my wife and four kids and moved to London and set up shop and really had a great run, learned a lot. But in 2005, it was time in my mind to get back to the States. And that at least led me to start thinking about what's next. And I think Scott quickly sort of joined that conversation and said, we should think about it together, which I was delighted to do. And I think we had an entrepreneurial itch. There was no question about that. We wanted to experience that. But I think we also wanted to get back to working with maybe smaller companies, get a little closer to the ground. We were intrigued 
with you know smaller, faster growing businesses. And I think we were also a little concerned about all the money that was pouring into the big cap private equity space. And so we really set up Sageview initially so that we could be a little bit more opportunistic with a view that we are we were going to focus on those smaller, maybe growthier businesses. And through time and pretty quickly, we just found this growth equity space focused on tech and tech enabled services was a, a great opportunity for us. You know, we were big believers early on and, you know, sort of software's eating the world thesis. We found that our skills and our network was actually quite valuable to these smaller companies and particularly, you know, our network in trafficking in the industries that a lot of these companies would be selling to and having connections there was quite helpful and understanding how the customer thought. I think all of that was really advantageous. We liked that. We thought it was a, a big market. It was not that organized a market. It wasn't highly intermediated. We thought we could get really good kind of risk return opportunities given, you know, you get into these companies pretty early and could have some outsized return as a result of that. But at the same time, you know, we were investing where they'd already found product market fit and we could get preferred securities. And we really thought that the risk return of all that was quite attractive. And we also thought that these were companies that are pretty malleable at the state they're at. You know, you can have a big impact in creating value. And we like that. And so we just increasingly focused our attention there. And now for, you know, more than a decade, that's all we've been doing. Were you interested in growth equity, you say, because it was new at the time? Are you surprised at how it's evolved over time and how many new players came into the growth equity space? Well, I would say one of the things you learn pretty quickly in Wall Street is if there's a good area, a lot of capital rushes in and growth equity is no exception. I will say that we consider ourselves to be true growth equity investors. There are hundreds of thousands of startup tech companies in the country, a very small percentage get to a great product market fit and a big market to go after. That's what we look for. And once we find them, we give them capital to scale their business. We also, as Ned said, add a lot of value from our network. So we really try to take these companies from adolescence to adulthood, from 10 or 20 million of ARR to 100 or a billion, you know, whatever we can do. So we consider that to be true growth equity. Some people were playing a different game, which was a momentum game. Very good returns to be had during the bubble. If you got into a company pre-IPO and it then went public at a good price, so there are a lot of flavors of growth equity. And I would say that a lot of the capital that flowed into these different flavors. But for us, you know, it's gotten a little more competitive, but in the lower middle market, I think we're a little more protected because GPs want to raise bigger funds. That's not our aspiration. So it doesn't surprise me it's gotten more competitive because the risk adjusted returns are attractive. But on the other hand, a lot of the capital went into areas that we don't really play in. Mm -hmm. Are there some telltale signs when you know a company is going to be a good fit for SageView, like almost immediately? I asked the question because the two of you have many years of experience that have seen a lot of companies. So are there certain characteristics that will immediately pop out to you as you're evaluating companies? Yeah, we actually have a SageView template, which is not meant to be rigid, but it shows a handful of characteristics that our young people should be looking for. 
first of all, we want to see a high growth rate, depending on the size of the company. It's anywhere from 20 to 100%. Secondly, all the unit economics are important, gross margin, LTV to CAC, magic number, rule of 40, depending on the stage of the company, might be important. And on the qualitative side, we want to be impressed with management. We want to think they're smart and are good people and really are going to drive this company to higher and higher levels. And we also want to find a company that's selling a service that's not a nice to have, but something that their customers really have to have. So it's a combination of numbers and people and special characteristics of the company. But I think we all know them when we see them. The thing I would add is that when we're looking at a business, we tend to be very focused on the quality of the product. And we really look a lot through the customer's eyes. You know, is this, as Scott says, a must-have? Is there a high ROI for the customer? What are the competitive options that are out there? Understanding all of that is super important to us. And I think when we see companies that we think have differentiated products, providing an essential service in a good size market, we get excited. And especially if it's a team that resonates with us. And the one other thing I would say is we love leaders, you know, companies that are, we think have leading positions in emerging markets that gets us very excited. Well, the other thing is the asset test. So, you know, we, we show up and say, look, we want to back you, Mr. and Mrs. Entrepreneur. We're going to buy a minority stake in your company and give you capital to spend on sales and marketing. But here's all the other value add we deliver, and we want to join your board, and we want to lock arms, and we want to be a partner to help you grow this company as fast as it can be grown. The real test is if the entrepreneur says, oh, my God, I really want to get you guys involved. You're exactly what I'm looking for. In most situations, we are not the highest price, but I think people look at all the value we bring. And even if our nominal price up front or our structure isn't as advantageous, we get picked. And that says a lot because we know we're headed in the exact same direction. And we know that implementing the change that needs to happen will go a lot more smoothly if the entrepreneur is on board. You know, we have a lot of CEOs that listen in and, and really the purpose of the podcast and a lot of the material we produce is for the benefit of CEOs trying to discern, well, which firm should I partner with? And it's really tough for many first-time CEOs to figure out so I'm glad you kind of highlighted some of those aspects. What else would there be to highlight that truly differentiates SageView? I imagine you're competing in many of the cases, like there's other investors that know the management teams you're talking to. What things would you highlight to that CEO? Why SageView is probably a better partner than another firm? Well, I think when you choose SageView, you're going to get one of our very experienced partners on your board because we run a pretty concentrated portfolio. Our objective in a fund is to have maybe 15 investments, which is a lot different than some of the other firms. And so each of the partners has a pretty tight portfolio, has a lot of time and experience and the network and the inclination to be involved and add value. And the other thing I would say is, you know, we're investing out of a fund that's a little over $700 million right now, and over 20% of it is our money. So we are highly aligned with the management teams that we back. And I think the combination of that more concentrated portfolio and that level of alignment 
really should give a CEO or entrepreneur a lot of comfort that we're all in and our interests are your interests in you know building the value of the business. A few things I would add, when I think about our value add buckets and what entrepreneurs really like, a lot of what we invest in are, are B2B software companies. They're little companies making traditional business better. And because of the background Ned and I had and the experience we had at KKR, we are very well plugged in to what we call the global 2000 C-suite. So if we find a company that's a leader in a field, it is making traditional business better. It is very easy for us to reach out to dozens of big companies and say, we just met this company. We think they're the leader. This is a very important area. I know, Mr. Board Member, Mrs. CEO, this is important to you. Make sure your people take a look. So we can deliver very high quality customer introductions. We can also do the same thing with people. I've hired sales executives who had a big job at an Oracle. And you know, I said, look, this is not a $15 million software company you're looking at. This is an emerging $100, $200 million software company. Here's our thesis and here's why you should get involved. You know, you get the Pied Piper effect. If your head of sales is great, they're going to hire terrific salespeople. So I think we can help there. And then lastly, Ned and I and another one of our senior partners, Dean Nelson, KKR, we were very operationally focused and we just know how to make companies better, whether it's pricing, structuring the sales force and the comp correctly, organizing the right metrics to make sure we're driving revenue and keeping costs down. I think this operational expertise is what a lot of these companies need during this period in their life. Maybe an example is helpful, Arjeni. Mm -hmm. Avalara a, was a successful investment for us. We got involved with the company back in 2011, invested when it was like a $20 million revenue business coming up on 20 million. It's a SaaS platform business that addresses sales and other transaction taxes for the corporate market. And, you know, when we got involved with that company, I went on the board. That was earlier in the evolution of SaaS. I think we really helped the company understand a very clear path to building value. We helped them sort of set up all the financial and operational metrics. I think we really helped them understand the unit economics of their business. And I don't just mean at a broad level, but you know, on a very granular basis by channel, by partner, et cetera. I think that was super helpful to the company in thinking about how to invest behind growth and what were the best opportunities for them. And we're always very rigorous in making sure our companies do that and that they have good visibility, that they've got a plan, they're making progress against the key priorities, or if they're not, we're doing something about it. And then we got involved when it was 20. I got off the board when we sold the company to Vista and it was a billion dollars of revenue. And so that's a long journey. And the amount of evolution in the management team when you go through that journey is also, you know, usually quite significant. And we play a big role in helping our companies recruit and vet candidates. And I probably help Scott McFarlane recruit three of every C-suite position over that journey. And, you know, frankly, if you do that a little bit, you know, your hit rate's a little higher in doing that, that makes an enormous difference. So I think if you talk to Scott, he'd say we added a lot of value there. The other thing is in Avalara's case, 
we always felt one of the key assets that that company had was unique content. They basically had all this tax content that they could run through their tax engine. And tax is incredibly arcane and complicated. There's 12,000 different jurisdictions in the US. There's all kinds of crazy rules. And from the outset, we had a view that adding to that content would just increase the barriers to entry in that business. And so we had a very active acquisition effort and I chaired the capital allocation committee and helped vet all the acquisitions as we were buying into new types of content, whether it was fuel excise taxes or telephony taxes or hotel and lodging type tax. So I guess it's just to say there's a lot of areas where we're adding value and we're really putting our shoulder to the wheel and helping these teams. And if I'm a CEO evaluating different firms, I would go reference the partners I'm looking at taking on. And I think if you did that with Sageview, you'd get glowing references from a lot of the CEOs we've worked with. Mm -hmm. That's a phenomenal example. And I think showcases the tremendous value that folks like yourselves can bring to bear on a given situation, given portfolio company, and really realize its potential. You know, we're heading towards the tail end of our conversation. I typically like to close with a couple questions. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? I have to mention a few. I had terrific parents who were hardworking and lived to 95 and 100 and married for 73 years and were honest and hardworking and placed a value on education. But I would also say, you know, Ned and I were quite fortunate to get plucked out of the crowd by George Roberts and Henry Kravis. And we sat at the right hand of two fantastic entrepreneurs, two great investors. And I still, to this day, sometimes ask myself, you know, how would George think about this particular investment? So from a personal side, my parents, from a professional side, I would say George and Henry. You know, this shows why we're such close partners, because I would have highlighted my mother. Well, I mean, she always is relentlessly sort of supportive and positive and a great believer in education. She was a Fulbright scholar, started at Yale Law School, dropped out to raise her five children, went back to get a master's in education and ended up a teacher for 25 years and really instilled in all of us just to be lifelong learners. And I will always be thankful for that. And then I would say in a business context, I mean, for me, it was George just because I was in the office in California with him and obviously an industry pioneer, but he was very bold and sort of courageous in how he and Henry built the business. And he also was sort of a ruthless prioritizer, which I always took to heart that you got to focus on what matters. And he was great at that. And then I also found that he, it's a lot of kind of truisms that stick with me. One thing George always used to say, and it's so obvious and simple, but said, you know, Ned, people do business with people that they like and trust. And I think that's a great lens to look at a lot of things in business through. And especially for us as minority investors, you know, we have to sell ourselves as a group that somebody's going to like to be in business with and going to trust us, trust us to deliver the deal we're talking about and trust us to really be a great partner and add value to their business through time. And some of those simple lessons are just super powerful. And that's one of a number. Okay, last question. Can you tell us about a charity 
cause or other undertaking that you are passionate about? Yeah, for me, it's uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. I have a long connection. My older brother, Rob, did his fellowship there. I actually went into an operating room in 1978. And then my daughter, my oldest of four, in 2005, contracted lymphoma and was treated there for 26 months. It was a brutal experience, but happy ending. She's now a doctor. So as you can imagine, I have an enormous amount of gratitude and glue connecting me to the organization. The good news is it's a fascinating time to watch what's going on in the advances against cancer. It's really the golden age. The advances against cancer in the last five years are probably more than in the previous 40 years. So I chair the board there. It's the most fascinating, rewarding professional experience I've had. And uh, I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm going to mention two really quickly. I mean, one, I went to Duke as an undergrad. It was life-changing for me. I've loved that. I've been very involved at Duke. I've been on the Duke management company for 17 years. I've been the chairman for the last seven. I've been on the board of trustees for 10 years. It's a phenomenal organization. I've really enjoyed it. I've been very supportive in trying to build Duke's science and technology chops. And in particular, it's investing in sort of the entrepreneurial ecosystem around the university. And that's been very rewarding for me. And I plan to stick at that for a lot of years to come. But then the other thing is, and this is more a family thing, sort of led by my wife, but we're both very passionate about sustainability and the, the environment. And we've put a lot of our resources behind furthering that cause. And I think it's probably going to become more and more important for our family over time. Excellent. Well, Ned and Scott, I want to thank you again for taking the time. It's been a wonderful conversation. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thank Thanks. you. I really enjoyed it. Have a great day.